This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. I spent a few days in London, UK, ahead of Integrated Systems Europe, in part to break up the trip and flights, but much more so to meet with several companies and see some projects that I'd only been able to see in photos and videos. The one I particularly wanted to see was Outernet London, a very ambitious, multifaceted development in the city centre that has, as its visual centrepiece, a huge set of wall and ceiling LED screens that are fully open to the public and positioned in such a way that they can't be missed as people flow from a main exit of the busy Tottenham Court Road underground station. I assumed wrongly that this exists primarily to run digital out-of-home advertising and compete with big screens like those in nearby Leicester Square and Piccadilly Circus, but there is much more to Outernet London as I learned walking and talking with the development's chief commercial officer, Ben Marr. The audio may be a bit hit and miss as we did this on the go and in the crowds that were even there on a chilly January afternoon. Incredibly famous set of assets on this side of the district, which are Denmark Street. Okay. So, as a business, we've been a landlord on Denmark Street for over 25 years, looking after the music stores. Um, we've made, as we said, a huge number of acquisitions, meaning that we own nearly all of the property there by far sort of two or three. Mm-hmm. And we run a baker for baker policy. So if we lose a music store, we replace it with a music store. Ah, all right. Because we want to maintain... Sorry, I don't know how familiar you are with Denmark Street, but as an asset, we want to maintain this as one of the most iconic music streets in the world. Oh, all right. The first music store opened here in 1911. Charlie Chaplin wrote the song Smile here. In 1926, The Melody Maker was founded here. In 1954, The Enemy was founded here. Uh, the owner of the enemy went around the street and took uh, a ledger of all of the sheet music that was sold, and that became the first ever music chart which was compiled on this street. Oh, Elton John had his first job as a runner here, and it was the home of the labels, the writers, it was the home of the lawyers, the management. So people would hang out here in the hope of being discovered. So, but importantly, talent would want to be discovered, and they'd hang out in the cafe here, uh, and this was called the Gioconda Cafe. Uh, and you'll see Tim Pan Alley, the home right. of British music. But importantly, it would be people like Mark Boland, it would be Jimi Hendrix. David Bowie moved a converted ambulance onto the street and lived here. So it really was the most incredible, wow. authentic home or sort of crucible for music. Um, we maintain the music stores. We put in a 55-room luxury hotel and residence. So you can stay in the rooms where this music picture was created at number seven here was where Mad Frankie Fraser and the Richardsons of Gangland fame had uh. their bar, which was called the Tim Pan Alley Bar. At number six here, out the back, is the news house that Malcolm McLaren rented for the Sex Pistols. So you can now stay in that. That's the Anarchy Suite. It's complete with their original 
graffiti or the, art, the pressure washed workers. it down. No, no. For, <laughs> for better or worse, it's there and it has. It's good. It has a grade two uh, listing on it now. But again, in a building like this, incredible history. Hypnosis were based here. They were the world leading album cover designers. So they um, created album covers for the likes of Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. Dark Side of the Moon was created in that huh. room. And you stay in the rooms. They have names like hypnose or hypnotize for that room. And then uh, Kiss the Sky is the name of the room where Hendrix used to jam. This is the store where Bob Marley bought his most famous guitar, which was destined for a dustbin until it was saved by a car mechanic from Essex. <laughs> so there's incredible <laughs> history here. This is where the Stones did some of their first ever recording. And people recorded here all the way through to the likes of um, the Brits Bratz, Adele, and uh, other incredible artists. So all of this is part of the district. And as I said, we've not tried to Disneyfy this area. We've tried to preserve it. The area dates back all the way to about the 7th century where the church was created to support the hospital. But once you build infrastructure, communities develop. So mm -hmm. this became one of the worst slums in London. Um, it was home to 3,000 residents, residencies and um, over 500 distilleries. And this is where Holgarth depicted the gin riots. Oh. So when you see things like that, that's why that occurred. Uh, and this is where it's depicted. You have elements like um, Dickens, who lived down the road in Bloomsbury, wrote Oliver Twist and based it here. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson based Mr. Hyde's Nocturnal there here. Um, this is where the plague's supposed to have started. So, you know, there's incredible history to the area. And, you know, that is all really important when you're creating platforms and telling stories that you understand the context yeah. within which you exist, not just the recent history. I'll come on to some of the more other music venues. Uh, as we head this way, I'll tell you this high street along this side, which is our border here, was known as the last drink. It was up until 1550. They wanted to make an example of you, and they'd hang or flog you at centre point here. Um, and it became known as the last drink because you try and get as many on as you could to ease your pain. Yes. And the church would give you a bowl of ale. And that bowl of ale was known as one for the road. And so if anyone ever <laughs> asks you if you fancy one for the road, it's from St. Giles Church no. that that originated. Yeah, it leads to bad things, let's yes. be fair. Um, so now we're going to enter the district. Um, importantly, we have 30,000 square feet of offices. We have over 18 retail units. We have pop-ups. We have um, 13 bars and restaurants. And we obviously have the screen-enabled spaces. So this first space is the arcade, the now arcade. As you can see, it's a fully screen-enabled, three-mil pixel-pitch uh, laden environment, all equipped with L-acoustic audio. So we have you know, sort of venue-quality audio in all our spaces, all fully attuned to... The audio's on the bollards? Yep, so the, the audio oh, all sits below. below. Okay, gotcha. The district as a whole, through all the spaces, is made up of 230 million pixels. It has 192 kilometers of Cat6 table enabling this. And I think really importantly, you know, we have positioned this as a canvas. We've positioned this as a storytelling platform. And that's really important to start with content first so that you can establish the context and the interest of the audience to allow you to tell better brand stories and deliver brand messages. Right. So that has always been the ethos of what we're doing. We don't stand with one editorial voice or polarizing thought around what we say. We try and democratize access to the platform. So we try and provide as many different interest groups and users to create for the platform. Because in all honesty, screens are relatively cheap. 
against the cost of actually feeding them. Yes. And creating environments that remain interesting all the time is the biggest challenge we have. Yep. So again, one of the things we want to do is by using multi-sensory environments is hand back some of that control to the audiences, not only to create for the platform, but also to control their experiences. So although we start with audio-visual, we're on a sort of a technical journey, on a path to bleed out new technologies and ensure that people can then interact and control generative experiences for themselves. Okay. All of the spaces have um, cameras in them, for example, which will allow for interactivity. So you can come into this space, you might receive a standing ovation or trigger a Mexican wave. Again, the joy of technology as it stands at the moment, and you won't hear many people talk about the benefit of COVID, but the reality is people now understand better the reasons for utilizing QR codes. Yeah. So these screens can become a launch pad to anything, to commerce, obviously to AR experiences, or anything else that we want to do. It makes data exchange a much cleaner and natural yeah. um, sort of methodology. So really important for us to be able to control all of those elements. As we come through here also, this provides a queuing function for our venues as well. We have a 1,500 person uh, capacity music venue underground, which is the largest new music venue built in London since the 1940s in, in central London. This is load in, load out for the oh, venue. Okay. So again, we've configured the streets so that we can have clean, right. easy, ecological load in, load out. So uh, vehicles can come and jack power straight from the mains rather than running their engines and things like that, which is really important. Smart. As we come into the district now, you'll see that we have what was a very traditional uh, sort of maze of new streets. So this was Denmark Place. Um, and what we've got here is the ability to gate and control the environment. So we can create all different sorts of experiences and fields and allow people to have events or dress a district in an interesting manner. So five different egress, ingress points across the district. On this side, we've got 14 more of the hotel rooms because the residencies are based in 16 different buildings. So a really different, unique point, uh, or sort of point for the hotel. Uh, here we have um, what will be the Denmark Street Recording Studio. So that will be a pro bono recording studio. Again, to add to the sort of ecosystem that we have of bringing people and rewarding talent just as Denmark Street always did. So if you think of it as sort of, this is the more historical and music side of the district. This is the more modern screen enabled facing. On the rooftop here, we have an 8,000 square foot modern Chinese restaurant called Tattoo. Um, we have another restaurant on the fourth floor, which will open in uh, the new year. Oh, sorry, in the new year. It will open uh, later this quarter. And that's called Cavo. They have a rooftop garden on here, uh, which is joined by a glass bridge, which leads over to the fourth floor restaurant. So what you'll see here is we have 2,600 LEDs across the district. We have, oh, sorry, across the runway here. So this, when we create a red carpet leading to the venue, oh, okay. we can light it up through LEDs. We have all of the color hues and uh, facades lit so that we can control those environments. And you've got as well. show control so you can orchestrate the whole thing. Brand colors, mood, you name right. it. We've obviously lit up for special causes such as Holocaust Memorial and also for uh, sort of Ukraine crises and things like that. And I think it's really important that you know, we, we understand our environment, we understand the mood. Mm -hmm. um, if you think of the context of certainly out of home and storytelling, smart cities and IoT plays a big part of city planning now. And yeah. our environment should be able to adjust to those needs and requirements. You know, mm -hmm. We shouldn't just be screaming at audiences, we should be creating dialogue 
and also understanding the context within which we sit. So, for example, or within GDPR, if somebody comes in, I know if they're looking for Wi-Fi where their SIM card originates. I know what their default language is. I don't need to invade their privacy. Right. But I can assume when the 50th uh, Dutch person or the 200th Canadian crosses the threshold, mm. I might play the national anthem and change the color of the district. So that creates incredible surprise and delight. If I look at the environment... And that would all be data triggered, that would Completely. Yeah. yeah, we can utilize... We have a, a, a custom stack which controls all of the programming for the district. Um, and that proprietary technology allows us to configure different environments, to configure the different spaces, either in unison or alternatively to have them operate autonomously. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. Our point of difference is having that versatility of space. It doesn't just do one thing. We do four core things. We can hold events in mm -hmm. our spaces. So that could be a private or public event. We have 30-second spots in our spaces, which is you know, essentially your standard TVC monetization. We can do sponsorship. So BMW have been a sponsor of our art program. We've presented our wellness program in association with Panadol. And importantly, this new stage is going to be about branded content, telling stories slightly longer form mm -hmm. in an audio-visual sense in a public domain. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most incredible moments I've had since I've been here sort of reaffirming we've got an environment that has that versatility. And what we want to do is bring those longer storytelling moments right. to the fore because brands are doing things with, uh, with brand advocates, with talent. They're doing things based around purpose or the craft that they create. So we've had driving stories. We've had the launch of the Beatles um, uh, remastered revolver oh, the album. Peter Jackson. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, not the Peter Jackson, but the, the actual uh, mastered revolver album, some of the videos oh, okay. that went with that. And again, that creates a different environment. It creates a different context. We've done interactive games. So again, as I said, what you don't want to be in any environment is a terrible magician. If you do your best trick on the first day, second day, it's diminishing returns. You're yeah. not doing anything innovative or different. I think that's a mistake really made important. over and over again. Yeah, and I think it's also quite been quite cathartic knowing that we don't know everything about this space because no one's ever done this anywhere yeah. in the world. So to say that we don't fully understand how the public will react and how it will work mm -hmm. has been a good thing. Mm -hmm. But what we have known is we've had to embrace the versatility of the space. So knowing that, for example, on the left here, we have uh, pop-up two. On the back corner of the building, we have another pop-up, which is about twice the size. Mm -hmm. These spaces are fully uh, screen-enabled and audio-enabled, as you see here. If they're not being used for an event, they'll be programmed with our content so that they're relevant. TMP, for example, Take More Photos, is a grassroots uh, creative collective. They re release briefs on social media and people can submit their photographs and then it curates an exhibition based on the brief. So they do one on Welcome to London. So this one's Welcome to Love in London. They'll do one for International Women's Month or they'll do one for Black History Month. They did one for the World Cup, for example. Now, so, now these are organizations that don't have budgets correct. typically. So this is pro bono stuff or... Very much so. But again, it exactly comes down to what I said before, which is we want to give access to the platform. We want right. to hear different voices to be representative and inclusive of our communities. And was that part of the pitch as well to uh, to Westminster Town Council or something like that? That look, we're we're building this, but it's it's going to have all kinds of community involvement. So. Good, good question. So importantly, when we were talking before, when I showed you everything in front of us, yeah. 
that's Westminster. The road here at Charing Cross, literally the line down the ah, middle, okay. is Camden. So Camden have a very different, um, you know, have a very different approach to Westminster. They're just different boroughs, and it's what you expect, different councils. So we were applying to Camden for our licences. This area historically had a number of late licences and uh, bar licences for the different premises that were here yeah. previously. And has historically been a musical district. So again, it's quite an entertainment-based Yeah, space. I was going to say, they'd be in the mindset anyways for this. So, you know, importantly, they have embraced what we're doing, but they have also gone on the journey of understanding what we're doing because it is very new. So that is a, always a challenge. The building and the main purpose of it, though, is interesting public space. Mm-hmm. So if we had created a new private, totally private and shut environment... I don't think we would have been received in the yeah. same manner. Um, you've got seconds. You might want to stop for a second only because we're going to watch um, the Summer Palace, uh, and it's about two and a half minutes long. And you'll uh-huh. you'll want you'll want to see it. But this is a good example of our house content, something we've commissioned to play in the public domain, which allows brands to sit alongside incredible experiences. And as you can see, people naturally getting their phones out to record. Um, I'll tell you the story just while it's loading in. So we ran a campaign for Italian Airways um, before Christmas, and they were one of the first brands to use the space um, for a commercial message. And they created... We, we were nervous. We didn't know what was going to come. because no one had, we, We've got best practice guides. We've got you know, uh, creative specs. And they created an experience where planes fly over the head of amazing landmarks in Italy. And people applauded at the end of the ad. And for somebody who's worked for 25 years in advertising, yeah. that's an incredible thing to be able to say. And quite a lovely experience. But this was uh, part of a commission that we did, um, or, or uh, RFP that we did, for people to create for the space. And it's sort of an ethereal journey through space and time. But interestingly, it uses the ceiling as the main communication plane. So yeah. Very different looking feel. I'm a big fan of these kinds of environments where you look at it and, and there, there will be any number of people here who will assume that that's real. Oh yeah, completely. And the joy is we're using a three mil pixel pitch uh-huh. so you can create those depths of illusion. The total resolution size in here is about 26k. So it's not without its challenges. Yeah. And we have found it unforgiving for things like raw photo footage because it is just so unforgiving on talent. So then we can use templating and things like that to accommodate lower resolution assets but still have them look incredible in the space. Um, The use of negative space, so not always trying to fill every pixel, is also incredibly powerful. So we try to utilize that as well. for this, this I've been. I used to present this in VR, so people were presenting on Teams and Zoom in VR during uh, lockdown, trying to explain what we're doing. Because it's one thing explaining uh, sort of a, a new ad format, it's one, a different thing explaining a new environment altogether. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections 
and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. Yeah, I mean, I'm somebody who's been around this medium, if you want to call it that, the technology for 20 plus years now, and I admittedly have not seen something like this before. Particularly the way it's stitched together with everything else yeah. going on. It's not just, here's this big screen, be excited. Yes, and I think we have to create, as I said, multi-purpose and interesting use environments because cities deserve them. Right. You know, you've got, as I said, as many at the weekends as 350,000 people coming through this St. Giles area and out in it is becoming an attraction. You know, yeah. we, have, we have six to eight hours of free art programming in this building um, on a Sunday right. and people email and go can I see this when is this happening and that I think is a good testament mm-hmm. to that we're doing things the right way um, you know it's new we are learning when we first opened the now trending space which is the smaller of the spaces that silver line proved an incredibly challenging threshold for some people Oh, really? Because it was like an anthropological experiment. They didn't know whether they could step in. They didn't know what the transaction was. Right. Because they'd never seen free public entertainment space like that. And uh, as you'd expect, uh, children and people who'd had a drink were the first ones to cross the threshold. But then interestingly, you put seating in there and people act completely differently. Right. So the, the psychology of the spaces is also as important. Another thing that may be of interest this uh, not this hero screen here on the south wall and the east wall here are permanent deployments. As you can see, you can see the slight lines between the wall here. Yeah. These screens on the north and east, oh sorry, north and west, are on rails and they can completely retract oh. and the building can open up. So it's one of the first buildings in the world with kinetic staging built in. Oh. It also has, uh, as you'll see on the front, if I can just show you, Well, you do have doors too, so you can close the area off for yes, private events. So they can also shut. Ah, and you can right. see better with the white there. You can see the slats between how they work. So we'll be bringing new appointments to view to city centres where you'll come. You'll you'll come with a real time of day to actually see something happen. Right. Uh, you can see, in fact, these ones are usually completely closed. And they've been open today for window cleaning. Um, the smaller area here, again, can operate as a retail unit. It's been a trainer store for Puma. It was a classroom for Mercedes F1 AMG with Toto Wolf. It was a studio for the photographer Rankin. It was a red carpet zone for Sky. It's been a party for Apple and uh, NBCU. Mm. So, again having addressable spaces that can do a lot. This pixel pitch at 3 mil is akin to what they use in the Unreal Engine uh, SFX studios. So that's essentially the backdrop that they shoot white shiny floor show content on. Um, the resolution there, as I say, 3 mil, 5 mil pitch on the outside here. Because it's is, up higher. Yeah, yeah, which is still the highest resolution out of home in Europe currently, certainly at that yeah. scale. Yeah, I've heard of P6 in New York, but not P5. No. So we're we're really pleased with it. But at that resolution, it's interesting. You know, 
we do need higher quality content because at that pitch it can it can be unforgiving yeah um, you'll see Netflix are doing an incredible job they're uh, a, a very frequent client of ours but animation on here will always look incredible because it obviously scales infinitely right. almost um, but they produce beautiful output and uh, the resolution is incredible that space is it also leasable for like if BMW wanted to launch a new electric vehicle or something, you could block it off and that's Absolutely. the launch. Absolutely. So we held the FIFA. We held the FIFA launch of the new FIFA 23 in there and did the FIFA Women's Summit. Um, we've done live boxing with the Zone and Match. So we've we've held boxing in there. We've done events for uh, UNICEF. We've done events for uh, Mothers to Mothers and Gucci, which was a gala event. Um, so yeah, we've. Yeah, we can do private and public, but the best, the way we like the district is having the public in because, right. you know, the more spaces that you privatize, the less inviting the world is. And we want people to come in, experience things free, be entertained and create moments that ultimately they want to share and create a destination in the cities we're in. What would you do if there was a big England football match? And I remember Leicester Square got kind of destroyed. Uh, would you just like close us off? So we face the challenges that any public destination would face and we have to manage the environment. So we do risk assessments on anything. We have uh, a really good security team and we do all of the uh, listening and monitoring of those feeds to know what's happening. We get advice from uh, our partners like TFL, which are local. We've got Camden. And then we liaise with the sort of the greater London authorities and also the... Uh, the emergency response services. So we've got right. a good understanding of what's happening, but yes, we will make a call based on what's going on to mm. decide how we manage the district because we want to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. uh, how many people work on this? You know, good I mean, setting aside security <coughs> and all that, but working with the canvas and everything else. So the Outernet team as a whole, huh. uh, around 80 people. 80? Yeah. Okay. So that will divide up between everything from the scheduling to the sales teams to the data and op center people, mm -hmm. uh, creative teams, etc. And when did it open? Officially, we had it together. <laughs> Thank you, I'm pulling it together. <laughs> so, officially, the, um, the arcade and the trending spaces opened in around late August, mm -hmm. and the Now Building came online from midday each day in November. So, we're now opening okay, from so 10 long. in the morning. So, it's not been open long at all. We're still very much in our infancy but it's uh you know it's nice as i said to see the behavior of the public and it having been here for just over four years to see it come to fruition is, is very rewarding did it go through a lot of revisions yes in terms of what you were gonna do <laughs> i think there were about 11 years of planning before i was even anywhere near this and then once the planning is in place you have to then reinterpret it as a as a as an experience, as a platform, mm -hmm. both for how stories are told, how stories are configured, how content is rendered out, how content is served, and then importantly, how it can be taken to market right. for brands, advertisers, storytellers, creators, you name it. So, yes, a lot of revisions, and we're still revising. Because this is uh, kind of on a... How do I describe this? It's it, There's a number of businesses operating hotel yes. yep. everything else uh is is this element of it its own business unit with its own P L, or is it kind That's of just correct. a larger so, outernet 
is a media business. Okay. And we control the screen-enabled spaces that you see above ground here. I'm going to assume that you don't, uh, you're not plugged into programmatic or anything like that because this is it's very distinct kind of canvas. That is correct. We're not plugged into programmatic. It's not to say that we would never do it, but the reality is the way that the content needs to be served today yeah. um, is very unique. As I said, it's a proprietary stack. It uses lots of familiar technologies, but it's more programmed like a channel, uh, like a traditional broadcast channel as opposed to a media yeah. uh, sort of dynamically delivered or programmatic. You can't just load a, a, a 4K file and it's, it's going to fit perfectly. There's a little bit of rendering that's required, let's just say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and who's... Tick- Do you have a... I assume you know this. Who, who uh, was the LED supplier? Yep, so the screens are from IOTO. Um, we went and did a analysis globally of the best screen providers um, and for the purposes of what we needed, IOTO had a great sort of golden sample new product and, and this is certainly the biggest, uh, one of the first and certainly the biggest deployment that they've done of this product. Right. Um, you know, we're running 21 triple GPUs in that now building alone. So um, we did go as far as doing sort of quality assessment. We visited factories. We even went as far as looking at where raw materials were mined because the importance of having single batch silicon on a canvas of this scale yeah. to ensure that you didn't get those different hues, particularly obviously on the reds right. within this color, within this canvas was really important. Uh, other important things on the LEDs, we de- degrade panels at the same pace that these are running so that if we need to replace, we're replacing them either from our own environments right. into the environment. So again, they're at the same life stage of the panels to ensure as high quality. You have a pretty big spare spool, I would imagine. We try our best. <laughs> it's a revolving. Um, if you look at this one, sorry, yep. this, this is a beautiful example of a piece of content that was not designed for the environment. So the previous piece you saw was designed for the environment. This is a drone shoot done by one of the Ridley Scott associate uh, directors that we met. And he shot it on an Icelandic beach, and it is a music video. Oh. But if you look at how some of the B-roll, so creating environment doesn't need always a brand new defined set of assets. It really can come from clever yeah. architecture of existing content. And I think that's something we've learned. You know. And do you tell um, the, the supplier of this kind of creative, here's what we would like you to do with it, or do they give you a license to say, Look, we'd like to we'd like to do an edit. This is how it's going to. It depends on the creator, okay. and it depends on where they are with their. If they're shooting for us, then we'd say this is the brand kit, and this is what you need to produce, and this right. is how you need to play it out. We're always updating our learnings because we get new challenges and new opportunities, and we learn from those. Um, but I think, you know, as we see a greater proliferation of these mega canvases across the world these sort of fantastic pieces become more relevant because they will play out across networks across other major cities um, I think one of the questions you was posed was is London is this a model for elsewhere it is and we're in discussions in New York LA the Middle East and also Asia so we're very much looking at launching these as a network and then sharing experiences now interestingly it won't always be this exact look and feel. Yeah. This was put together over 26 years across a horizontal plane. If you go to Manhattan, 
you're probably going to have to use a vertical plane. Yeah. And so it becomes a completely different onboarding process and, and journey. So it's going to be interesting how we take our learnings and then we utilize those in other environments. Does it have to be, if you're going to take this to other locations, does it have to be multifaceted in the same way in that there's, there's a retail component, there's a hospitality component, there's a restaurant component? If every case is different. So yeah. if you look at environments creating a campus or a district in other cities, particularly one like New York or LA is far more challenging. You know, yeah. The real estate cost may be prohibitive or, or even the, the planning permissions. So we have to look at them in each case. Often partnering with other established institutions is wise. We're lucky enough to have a huge footfall here. Uh, in places like Manhattan, you have those big footfalls. In other cities in the world, you don't necessarily have this natural footfall. Yeah. So you have to create a different style of destination or align with another key destination to ensure the right sort of footfall. So yeah, each, each case on its own and understanding the needs and nuances of those cities and audiences as well. Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, immersive attractions popping up now. They're almost all are projection mapped. But they're they're very much ticketed locations, and it's yeah. programmed, and it starts at this time, and you you know you're there for 45 minutes, then get out, exit through the gift shop. We we we're very happy to have you exit through the gift shop here as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there are, and don't get me wrong, there is some incredible projection technology out there. We've looked at it in our venues and in other places. Um, we have other uh, locations with theatres and other things, and you know. We would certainly consider projection there, but for the kind of canvas and certainly with some of the gaming engines and things and future proofing we wanted to do, this pixel pitch created a very unique and beautiful canvas that, to be fair, I don't think we could have achieved in the same way yeah. with projection. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I, you know, I've, I've written about it and kind of seen it from afar, but it's it's so much more interesting to see it in person, but I think more than anything else, kind of understand you know, the macro idea yeah. as opposed to, oh, look, a very big set of screens. What are these guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> why did they do that? Yes. Which, again, isn't, isn't a difficult question. It's always good to ask why. And I think just seeing the way the public interact with it has been enough of a validation that cities deserve these interesting cultural spaces and they deserve to be free and in the public domain. Mm -hmm. Now, we need, always, we're early in our journey, we need more brands coming and telling their stories as well, but telling them in a way that, you know, will ingratiate themselves to the public and, you know, Out of Home has done an incredible job at providing public utility mm -hmm. forever, you know, in major cities. And I think if we can prove this model out, certainly for, you know, multi-sensory spaces delivering that as well i think it sets a good precedent for uh, other cities and other developers across the world are you affected at all by uh, energy conservation requirements or requests yes of course um we are obviously subject to the rising costs of energy as anyone naturally would be but we have developed with the most energy efficient product that was available on the market so the sort of the cooling and the control of the environment importantly isn't prohibitive to us doing this it's not right. creating a uh, yeah we're not creating a huge huge carbon footprint that we cannot offset it's not the right thing but that we cannot manage um, we have 
all the relevant ESG scorecards and we're working to the ISO qualifications for energy and for our sort of social um, corporate responsibilities. But it's also this sort of magnet for uh, those people who are concerned, well, oh, look, we're wasting all this energy on these things. Do they really need them versus other stuff that's drawing way more energy, but it's not anything you'd think about? I think the fact that we're providing a storytelling platform and we're not just screaming at people in the public domain. Um, we're supporting yes. arts and culture everywhere. We have a charitable foundation that donates time and uh, <laughs> money to different projects. So we've done uh, projects around uh, sustainability with hunger. Um, we are doing things around um, social mobility. We've done things for um, AIDS charities. You know, so we work with lots of different interest groups right. to provide the platforms. We even audit the, um, the pop-ups so that when we're looking at the brands we're working with, we're not just working with the same generic brands that you get on every high street in the world. Right. We want to ensure that these spaces are different and unique. So whether it's non-white owned businesses, whether it's um, LGBTQ plus owned business, female owned, sustainable businesses. So again, being a conscious member of society, you know, we yeah. want to be, we don't just want to be a bastion for people a thinking why they're doing billboard. this. Yeah, big ass So I think we've gone around things in a very different way. Um, there are some incredible landmark out-of-home structures in the UK and across Europe. Mm -hmm. But I do think we have good USPs and we do complement what is already in right. the market, but with enough point of difference. Yeah, we want to attract people to this space and not cannibalize out-of-home budgets by sticking the same offering up. So if we can get more AV budget and that encourages people to do better and more in out-of-home, mm -hmm. then that's a fantastic thing. Well, that's very, very impressive. Obviously, people like it. We're getting there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a piece called Heaven's Gate that is the new art exhibition, and it launched on Sunday, and it was absolutely crackers in here. Oh, like, really? The volume of people was just wonderful. It really was just crazy to see how people mm -hmm. enjoyed it. And as I say, conceiving something and then seeing it come to fruition is such a unique and pleasurable thing to been able to do so uh, we're very proud of what we've done here that's it for this week's episode i hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two if you're new to 69 it's a podcast that's been around since 2016 you can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people if you're new to digital signage you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net you'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 169 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.